Liz Rao definitely has a quirky sense of humor. She's an author and now a podcast host. But recently, she's undergone a major change in her life. VSG Bariatric Surgery. Now she's on a journey to discover health and happiness. Join her as she navigates this new world. This is Life with Liz. Hey everybody, welcome back to today's show. So I've talked a lot about my husband during the recovery process, the cooking process, how he is basically my trash disposal when I can't finish a meal. I just slide my plate over to him. So I thought it would be appropriate for episode 15 to introduce you to the Russian, a.k.a. my recovery nurse. So today he's joining us and he is going to answer questions about what it was like for me to go through this process. So, honey, are you ready? Nurse Russian here, ready to go. So I have actually been very complimentary of you. I just want you to know about Uh how, how nice of a job that you did and... This podcast comes at a very poignant time because I was just DM'd two nights ago on Instagram from a girl I went to college with. I haven't talked to her in many years, but somehow she found my Liz Rao account on Instagram and we kind of reconnected and her husband is going through bariatric surgery. And she said, what was the one thing that really made your recovery so much easier? And my very first answer was the Russian. My husband really took care of me and made sure I was like wanted for nothing. So just so you know, you do get credit all the time. And just for reference to anyone listening, this was not her opinion at the time. At the time, I was called a bunch of different pejoratives ranging from Nazi to, uh, you know, Nurse Ratchet. I didn't say you were kind. I said you did a good job. (laughs) So at the time, she didn't make me feel very good about being Nurse Russian, but now she's very... uh, very uh, favorable. So, all right. So are you ready to answer your questions? Absolutely. Let's do it. So question number one, what did you even think about me having this procedure? Because you've watched me since I started researching it and go from my consultation, going through the classes, most of which were during COVID. So sometimes you listened. What was your just whole overview of opinion? Can I go into a little background on my opinion of weight loss in general, or should I just talk about your bariatric in specific? I mean, try not to bore my listeners, but yes, you can overview your opinion. Right. And then you can talk about the bariatric process. Okay. So my general opinion of weight loss is that a good portion of the people, I'm not going to even say most, can make it work with just eating healthier, exercising, and regular life habits. Um, I don't know if uh, my darling wife had mentioned it, but I'm actually working on uh, lowering my weight and getting in better shape myself, you know, running, doing various exercises, um, watching what I eat, um, and it's tough. It is very, very difficult. Uh, when I first started the beginning of this year, I was at around 255 pounds, and the first 30 or so pounds were not that difficult to lose. Um, in fact, it was really encouraging. Um, but ever since then, it has been a battle, and so I told... Well, what was your highest weight ever? Uh, highest weight ever was probably way back in latter parts of high school, maybe very early college, when I topped out around 280, and I'm right now at about 210. So I've been kind of... I think 220 is pretty 
easy for me to maintain without too much effort. That's kind of like a happy spot for my body. Um, but I, I really want to be down around the 180, 190 range. So I've still got a little ways to go. And I feel like that's too small for you because you're a very tall human being. I'm only six foot. I'm not that tall. And, I mean, I'm shrinking over here. I'm turning into my grandma. And the other thing is, is he's losing his butt. And I'm not a big fan of that. Squats, baby. Once I, you have not done a single squat. Once, once I get down to a little bit closer to my uh, goal weight, I'll start doing the squat. Anyway. anyway. So now on, on to the... So he yes. has plenty of opinions. Yes. I have tried dieting off and on my yeah. whole life. I was very unhealthy with food as a Same teenager here. and in my 20s. Um, and unhealthily tried to lose weight as well. And I just knew in my gut I needed a tool. Yep. And so that's <laughs> that's kind of where... I agree. I think that the surgery is exactly that. It is not a magic pill. I think it is a tool that helps you kind of get over the hump and get on the track of actually losing the weight. And then that becomes a self-perpetuating cycle of you're seeing progress. You're more encouraged to maintain the progress and it helps you get over that. So um, my opinion was hesitant, hesitantly optimistic because I think that it would it will work with effort. Um, it is not a cure-all. So the important thing is just continuing to work at it, not just letting it be the only thing you do. So I was hesitantly optimistic. Um, we talked a lot about it, and uh, my thoughts on it were, if you were absolutely positive and you were prepared for the hard work that was gonna, be fo- that was gonna follow, I was okay with it. I also think you underestimated me. I don't think you thought I could truly give up some things. Or follow the diet. Yes, but, and you have done a better job than I thought you might, though you have also cheated a little bit faster than I would have liked. But I have been a horrible influence because I didn't give up anything and I've been like enjoying most of my food that I normally do just in smaller proportions around me. So, and by cheat, he means I've had exactly 10 sips of beer over the course of a month. Yes. So, Um, I also micro think, sips, I might add. Yes, very small. Um, I also think that you, just because you have a uh, a vegan background, you focus on veggies a little too much because your focus should still remain on protein for the time being, and it's just like a happy place for you to have some kind of vegetable or some kind of. You haven't done any pasta, so that's obviously awesome. Oh, uh, and um, I talk about this all the time. Yeah, pasta is my weakness. Like pasta bread. I'm gonna save it for Italy. Rice, all of that you have completely knocked out, and I'm like, go. Awesome. The fact that I went three weeks without caffeine is still the most impressive part to me. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so in a nutshell, you were very supportive once you bought in that I like. I was, this was my plan. I was a hard ass about it, I think, but yes, once I got through the hard ass phase to where you realized I wasn't going to just say, yeah, whatever you want to do, just, uh, yeah, I, I tried to be as supportive as I could be. And I will say he did promise to not drink um, any beer in front of me, and around the two-month mark, I was like, fine, go ahead. <laughs> so, um... You know, it's all about support, and you have to give a little if you're getting a lot. So, (laughs) all right. So, that leads us up to five and a half months later, we're driving to the hospital. What was surgery day like for you? Because you're so, like, I had to leave here, what, 6 o'clock in the morning, Mm -hmm. so I had to get up at 
4.30 to shower with antiseptic soap, which just smells heavenly. You have to shower with it the night before and the morning of. You can't put on deodorant. You can't do your acne medicine. Like, nothing. And so we had to be there two and a half hours early prior to surgery. It's, it's one of those hurry up and wait kind of things. Well, hold on. Not, not just that, but we have to be there two and a half hours before surgery, and you have to have that last drink of Gatorade like two hours before that. Yeah. So we were up at like 4 a.m. The, the morning of. It yeah, my doctor required fun. me to drink, I think it was 32 <laughs> ounces of sugar-free, no, a full sugar Gatorade, because the sugar is supposed to help you recover faster. Um, prior to that, the week prior, you have to have a sugar-free Gatorade every single day. Um... But, so we're turning into the hospital, and he goes, you can still change your mind if you want to. And I said, no, you can't, because if you don't don't cancel within 72 hours, you still have to pay for it. And he goes, it's just money. The one and only time he's ever said that, I might add. Absolutely. So from then on, I go in, I check in. What was the rest of the day like for you? Um, all right, so check in, and then it was a little bit of a waiting period before they called you. So that was just, you know, your regular hospital waiting room with the mask on, so nothing crazy there. Um, but then they took her back and actually went into the process of getting ready for surgery. Um, at that point, it wasn't anything really all that stressful. I was just kind of, because I knew the surgery wasn't starting until I think it was. And I will say my prep nurse, she was awesome. Like Oh, that's right, I forgot. Yeah, she yeah. was so, like, she was very talkative she had had the procedure herself before so she was kind of telling me a little bit about how it felt to recover um she gives you all these different meds i have a video of me saying they just gave me something that felt like a bee sting and it hurts (laughs) um i don't even remember what that was but um she was she was great yeah yeah so that's right they took us back for the prep um did all that stuff uh one thing i would note is that you, if you're going in to do this or really any surgery, you have some kind of a, uh, you know, a drug or like painkiller preference, make sure you iter- reiterate it like 10 times because uh, I hate to say this, but it does not sound like they take you serious. They'll give you the standard stuff. And if that's not what works for you. Well, I had an allergy ban. Interesting you say that. An allergy ban for Tylenol on my wrist, mm-hmm. bright red, and yep. they brought me Tylenol yep. five times. Yep. And then what's the, like, you don't do morphine, you... Dilaudid. Right. I cannot handle morphine. So she, uh, she said that, and, the, like, I'm skipping, skipping ahead a little bit. I said it Can to still... the anesthesiologist. I yeah. said it to the doctor. Yeah. I said it to my nurse. And that's what they still gave her, and not until after, like, the recovery. So how long? Oh, before we, get, before yeah. we get to that. So they prep. Yep. Um, prep was fine. Yeah. Um, they let me play with a cool little uh, vein detecting infrared tool, which was really neat uh, when they needed to um, get you all prepped with IVs. They did not want to put an IV in my elbow or my hand. They wanted to put it in my, what do you call this part? Your forearm, forearm, I guess? Yeah, forearm. Um, which I will never do again. But um, they have this little tool that lets you see all the veins. And so my nerdy husband was like, can I try and he's, like, going up and down his arms with this little infrared tool. So then they, they get you all pumped of drugs. You're awake when you go into the OR. Well, at that point, they, they haven't given you anything. Because it was a... I was put full of, like, pre-drugs. Things yeah, to, like, muscle like, relaxers. You know, like, and It wasn't even muscle relaxers. It was just, like, uh, mostly, like, um, um, like, amino acid solution. Just getting her hydrated, really. There wasn't anything. 
Um, they don't give you any of the sedatives until they're just about to wheel you away. So the whole time I was there, you were fully conscious. We were just messing around with the, you know, vein detection tool and all that fun stuff. And then, you know, looking for the bathroom because we weren't sure where the closest one was. So Yeah, so they make, <laughs> you have to go pee in a cup. Mm-hmm. And the one right next to our, our little room, none of the bathrooms are marked, which I find weird. But someone had been in there forever. And so finally, we're like wandering down the halls just looking for a random bathroom. And so we had to ask because none of them are marked. Yep. But the prep process overall is fine. Um, you know, as long as you're not like afraid of hospitals or needles or anything like that. It's just, it's just your regular prep room stuff. You're just kind of chilling with the nurses. They're and everything set up. And, and I can't remember. Room. Did you get to walk with me to the doors they wheeled me off? Or did I have to say goodbye in the room? Nope. Uh, we said goodbye in the room and they sent me away. And I sent all of my clothing with him. So here's the thing. You can't take your bag in for your recovery room. You have to leave it in your car because there's no place for your support system to go. So um, I wore a very comfy outfit that I could then also wear home. But my shoes and everything, I I sent that all with um, the Russian. So I didn't have to worry about anything. I had your outfit too. The only thing you were wearing was the uh, hospital gown. They had you change into that. So... I took everything with me, and then I had to bring that back into your uh, recovery room afterwards. So you get wheeled into the recovery room. You have to lift yourself up off and get onto the other no, bed. Not recovery room. I'm um, sorry, operation room. room. Um, and they're talking to you. My doctor was playing music from the 60s, and my anesthesiologist was in there. And so finally, I'm prepped, I'm ready, and they put the little mask on me, and they're like, count down to 10. I think I made it to 7. I don't know. Um... Next thing I know, because I don't remember anything in the recovery room when you're just by yourself with the nurse, because due to COVID, no one can come back there. Mm -hmm. But the next thing I really remember is someone trying to force me to sit in a chair and throwing up. So what what happened in between that? That's actually hours and hours post-surgery. So we're talking about... I want to say, you went into surgery like 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. 9 a.m. And this would have been like uh, 3 or 4 p.m. So pretty big span of time there. Um, all right, so. And I would just like to say it's because they gave me morphine. Uh-huh, sure. <laughs> um, so the whole operation was not too bad. Um, you know, they kind of, they do a pretty good job of keeping you informed. Uh, this specific doctor was actually supposed to call me as soon as the procedure was completed, but he didn't, so I actually heard from the nurses um, before I heard from the doctor. But again, it wasn't like a huge wait, or it wasn't super worrying. Everything kind of on that, like while I'm still in the waiting room and actually waiting was fine. So then they, you know, give you a call saying, yeah, everything went great. Um, go ahead and go into the recovery room. It's room number XYZ. Uh, so I, I'll meet her there. So I go into the room, um, they've got her just wheeled in, she's still in the bed, uh, and high as a kite, yelling that like, oh my god, it hurts, and then oh my god, I'm gonna hurl, and oh my god, it hurts, and oh my god, I'm gonna hurl, like, and just, like, totally out of it. She still recognized me. Um, well, that's good. Even yeah. in my drunk morphine goggles, right. I recognized you. Um, but, uh... You were out of it and crying like a little baby at the same time. So I believe it. A, that was pretty much, I'd say, a good few minutes while the nurse got you situated. Um, she then got you uh, 
some sedatives to you know put you back to sleep, and then you snoozed off for probably I want to say so they got you into the recovery room. I want to say like maybe eleven or so or twelve. Um, I think for an hour at least, maybe two hours, you were pretty much out of it, uh, and then you woke up and you were kind of doing the same thing, but a little bit more uh, cognizant. Uh, so at that point is when they're trying to get you a little bit better shape to try and get you ready to actually get out of the bed. They that one to... nurse was mean. I'm just going to say, she was mean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, that, and, and it was only at that point, I was like, you know, you were still complaining about the pain. She was like, all right, well, let me get you some more morphine. And I brought up the Dilaudid thing because... We had mentioned it a dozen times already, um, and they got you approved the Dilaudid. Because they made me, I had to go out and walk after I was done throwing up. God knows what was in my system because oh, yeah. I hadn't this eaten was, anything. Yeah. So I got up to walk, and I came back, and there was a, a shift change. And this one nurse, she was awesome, goes, well, your husband said you don't take morphine well, so we switched you out to Dilaudid. That was the... And... And I said, yeah, I told them that before. And then somebody came in with things for me to drink and had Tylenol on the tray. And I, I had to go through it again. Hold yeah, up my it, little wristband. It was it Lawsuit was waiting to happen. Um, I don't know what that's all about. So advice for anyone that goes in, repeat it. Have your significant other repeat it. Because for whatever reason, they don't communicate or think they know better. Or they just have a process they need to get approval for something different, and they don't want to bother with it. In all honesty, I think it's that latter part. Well, um, and I think bariatric patients, I also think they're like, well, all you can take is Tylenol outside of your morphine or whatever you're on. Because morphine for the general person probably works great. Me, having had emergency surgery before, I already knew mm-hmm. I couldn't handle it. Yeah. And that it did not affect pain for me whatsoever. And, I mean, I can't tell you how long I threw up because in my memory it just felt like hours because there was some, that gunk they put on you to put the tube down your throat was coming up. So, really, she she had dry heaved for hours without any actual throwing up and then there was like maybe one or two times where she threw up the gunk. I just remember some sort was, of jelly thing and it was disgusting. Yeah, and that was already closer to like, you know, 5 o'clock, uh, 4 or 5 o'clock. Okay? <laughs> so, that was like... No, you were, you were mostly out, just going in and out between like, oh my god, I'm going to throw up, oh my god, it hurts so bad, and that was, that was pretty much the majority of that. Yeah. I would just like to say I don't snore anymore, that was my sleep apnea. Sure, that actually did work. <laughs> um, but again, so, I think once the morphine kind of got out of your system and the Dilaudid kicked into where the pain management was working better... I do think you recovered a lot quicker. I was way more alert. Yeah. We got you up and walking around. Um, you got into that chair even though you hated it. Yeah, that um, chair was some bullshit. Oh, so, <laughs> so check this out. We just talked about this a couple of days ago. but um, So we need to get you up and into the bathroom to try and use the restroom. And, you know, obviously I help you get in there. You know, I help you do as much as I could, you know, get you situated. Um, and then you're like, no, get out of the room. I can't while you're in here so I yeah don't remember that either um and obviously you have to go back in and help you get situated and get you back into the bed and everything and then just a couple days ago she criticized me like I needed to pee and you didn't even help me (laughs) you were still high as a kite baby yeah I don't really remember that I do know you helped me change into my pajamas I brought before Mm -hmm. you left um which I highly recommend everyone take a comfortable nightgown and a rope don't even bother with pants because those leg compressors have to come on and off so much 
They have to check all your stitches. It's just not worth it. You get twisted. But a nightgown and a robe, awesome. And as you're walking every hour all through the night, you're still warm. But, yeah, so I thought surgery day overall went well. When I woke up around 3 a.m. wide as awake, wide awake as I could ever be and annoying the night nurses, I felt great. <laughs> um, they also took me off Dilaudid at that point and put me on Oxy, which, again, didn't really, wasn't a wonderful painkiller for me. But at that point, I wasn't really in pain. Yeah, at that point, it just starts being discovered from the bloating, right? Yeah, it's the gas pain. You feel swollen, like... Your esophagus feels swollen from the tube. Every time you swallow, like, you have to learn how to sip, like, very, very light sips. Because every time you swallow, like, you think you're having some sort of spasm in your esophagus. And then there's this little ball of pain right before it goes to your stomach. It's because you're drinking too much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, you have to immediately retrain everything. And they're also somewhat limited on what kind of liquids and stuff like that. Uh, they have available so if you have restrictions or if you're like peculiar about what kind of liquids or you know drinks you want to drink uh just check with your doctor what you're allowed to have for surgery and just have somebody bring those for you bring it with you yep yeah you can stay hydrated you can keep drinking but you're drinking something that you wanted because like you know the hospital might have really crappy water and they'll have like you know your regular gatorade or like orange juice the Gatorade was the but, only thing that tasted good exactly. at that point. So bring and bring and that's not the thing. Like yeah, bring a variety, bring a few different things because I think I brought like uh, wasn't Gatorade or was it Powerade? Because I think I brought you brought me too. a Propel. You yeah. brought me yeah. um, a vitamin, water, a vitamin, just different. Touch. I tried to, but yeah. your taste buds get yep. so screwed up. But um, yeah, so the hospital. Uh, they obviously pay attention to no notes in the cafeteria whatsoever nope. because the for breakfast yeah. they brought me a bowl of chicken broth yep. and um, I had you have to go through all these pre-op meetings and they're like what do you want for breakfast and I said well I'm vegetarian I don't even do chicken broth they're like okay there's just no point in that anymore just have your support system bring you whatever you want sorry for that noise that's our automatic cat feeder coming to you from chewy.com um then you have, um, they brought me a full caffeinated coffee. Yeah, it's like... Not you only, can't have caffeine? It's not only your personalized <laughs> notes. They don't even look at the notes specific to your surgery. That's ridiculous. Um, yeah, there was some and sort of milk thing a, in there. Yeah, it was a terrible. Good hospital. It's a great hospital. I mean, the their stats and everything are great, but they just bring you a very generic recovery breakfast from the cafeteria. Uh, nobody looks. It just comes on a cart. Um, and it just sat there, and I felt terrible for wasting disgusting food, but it, it was what it was. Bring, bring your own stuff. Come prepared. It'll make your life so much easier. So then we have, um, so I was only in the hospital for a night. They told me around 10 that they'd start doing the paperwork. Um, I had to basically finish my IV I didn't get tested for making sure I drank liquids or anything. They just weren't even concerned about that. Um, I guess I was just making enough progress. They didn't care. Or I just talked too much, and they were like, send her ass home. I don't know. But... Oh, and this was the beginning of uh, me being uh, referred to as Nurse Ratchet because uh, part of the recovery process is they give you this uh, breathing exercise thing that you're supposed to do too. Which they make you do in the chair from hell, Mm -hmm. by the way. That you're which supposed is, to be sitting in the whole time. Which is an awesome reclining chair, by the way. It's just not as comfortable as the bed, but they need you sitting up is the key part. Um, but anyway, so 
And I, I'm like, all right, do the exercise. And she's like doing two of them. I'm like, nope, you got to do 10. Well, when they were explaining to me the first day, I had no idea what she was saying. I had to hit with this goal because you have to, it's when you have to breathe in and you have to make this little ball and this tube go to a certain height. I was so stoned for lack of any other better word. I mean, I was on Pluto, and she kept saying, no, you're not hitting the goal. And I was like, sure I am. So then we come home, and like every hour or two hours, you're supposed to do this stupid breathing tube for like five days. Mm-hmm. It's There's no physical desire whatsoever to sit up to blow into the stupid tube. But you need to. So, um, yes, and it's not a politically correct term, but I called them Nazi nurse. But then, like, they not only send you home with this breathing tube, you get these um, compression wraps, which I've talked about before, and um, mine died. Yeah, ours had, like, a battery issue where uh, it wasn't charging right, so we'd be woken up in the middle of the night with the darn things going off. Um, If you spot that right, call the provider right away, because chances are it's uh, something to do with the batteries, uh, because they probably just reuse them and... They wore off, so don't don't wait like you know a week like we did. Do it right away. Yeah, and so I got a new pair sent to me. So my insurance covered the cost of those, so I get to keep them for life. So I guess if I ever have a really bad leg cramp, I can just throw that sucker on. Um, but yeah, you have to wear that for the blood clot. You have to breathe in that stupid little tube for the blood clots. They're afraid your lung will get clotted. Um, but I mean. I think on a scale of like 1 to 10, I was on an 11 as a patient. Yeah, you're funny. You're still high. You were probably like a 7. I mean, what was so bad? That I didn't want to breathe in the tube? That you didn't want to do anything. Like, I had to fight you to get you up off your butt and walk around like you're supposed to. I mean, the first two days, all you want to do is sleep. Yeah, but you're still supposed to walk around. I did. Yeah, after I made you. Yeah, that's why, that's why you have to have a support system. Yes, or, you know, a nurse You gotta admit, I was not near as high maintenance as you thought I'd be. Mm. I mean, I wanted a bell, and I never got one. Yeah, okay. But I did have um, kitty cats taking care of me. Mm -hmm. My babies came and cuddled with me on my makeshift hospital bed. Daisy didn't enjoy being rejected from your stomach, though. Yeah, I had to sit in a specific uh, position for Daisy to cuddle with me, because she likes to lay on my belly, which... She's also not a big fan of the fact it's smaller now. And then she does that little kneading thing cats do. And so that's where my incisions were. They go straight across my belly button line. Um, So she wasn't happy the first couple of days. Yep. So, I mean, what else do you think really, really helped me during that first week of recovery process? Mm, That's a good question. Uh, I think largely it was just being prepared and knowing what you would need to do uh and then yeah having somebody get you off your butt and moving around because from everything the doctors and nurses were saying just getting up and moving is one of the biggest keys to a proper recovery so uh you know be tough if you're helping somebody um or if you've got somebody helping you tell them that they've got to be tough on you and get you up and around and moving and uh, you know, just following the process because it works. Uh, you know, the other thing I think we uh, struggled with a little bit was that darn pain medication pack that they sent you with. 
just because it's a pain in the butt to carry around with oh, you? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we had the, um, my doctor does the on-cue pump, which is why I never really had pain mm-hmm. because it was releasing local anesthetic. Yep. Um, but it's like this diaper bag that's attached to your body that you have to carry everywhere. And, and it's easy to tangle and it gets caught in everything. Yeah, the tubes get caught on yep. everything. Yeah. So, but I mean, it, I guess it's better than the pain. And I have a video of us attempting to take that thing out because you pull them out yourself. And oh, we actually God. had to stop. Yeah. We stopped filming at one point. <laughs> um, there's so much tape and glue on you. So we it took like five minutes just to get that and, off. And also, I guess it goes like around and not straight to the site. So you're pulling and you're pulling and you're pulling. Yes, and you're it's pulling. much longer than you <laughs> thought it was. Like yep. I just thought it would like whoop, pull out. Nope. One of them was a little easier than the other. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was resistance, but there is a slight tug yeah. um, and neither because of us, it's so long and yep. you don't realize it. And neither of us are squeamish, but we were both like, all right, do we just need to call 911 at this point? This is No. Well, you didn't want to do it. I ended up having to do it because you were like, no, it's pulling. I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah, because like there was so much resistance. I thought it was uh, attached to something. Turns out it was just super long. So we thought no, we were pulling. No, it wasn't, it wasn't that it was One super long. It was, not, like, it was not coming out. It came out, but I had to do it really slow, and it's yep. just a very awkward feeling. Yeah. Because um, I was like, just suck it up. Just do it. You see me in this video. I'm like, come on. Yeah, <laughs> and then she tried, and then she had to sit down because she couldn't take it either. To be fair, I was also still on drugs. Well, oh, that's another thing I want to say. So um, get yourself off of the uh, pain meds they send you home as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that like you might not have a great option of whatever else to take, but... Um, I think you did. I don't think you used up your whole thing of oxy that they sent you home. I with. didn't know. And I think that's like really most important. people don't get oxy. You get like a Percocet or something. But because I don't do Tylenol, I got oxy. Right. Because um, they want you to do Tylenol. It was such a small amount that it wasn't even worth taking. Um, I think I took it the first day predominantly just to sleep. Um, but you know they might tell you this. You might have heard it from elsewhere. It really is important to try and get ahead of the pain because it takes a lot less of the medication to manage it at that point. So just set a schedule and take your meds. You know, for the first couple of days, even if you don't feel like you need them, take them. Or even if it's Tylenol, if you're not having a yeah. lot of pain, you can just do Tylenol. Just take them on a schedule. Take them. Don't wait for the pain to start before you take the meds. Take the meds on the schedule for the first couple of days. And then after that, you can try and like slowly wean yourself off and see how you feel. But like the first couple, just take the meds as scheduled, even if you don't feel the pain. And then afterwards, yeah, wean yourself off. So I have one last question for you. This is much longer than my normal podcast, but I wanted to make sure we really covered this. What has it been like now? I'm almost 12 weeks out. I'm just a couple of days shy at the time of recording this podcast. What's it been like watching me now post-op go through it? Oh, what do you mean? Like just the the different levels of the diets and um, the weight loss because I lose it now a pound pound and a half a week much slower than I did at the very beginning, um, so I don't always see the progress. I think sometimes you see it before I do. Um, you also get the lovely luxury of finding my hair everywhere. No, yeah. because it it there for a while. Like when I lost like the twenty some pounds, like very very quickly in a short time span that's when i lost the most amount of hair because your body just has to conserve the nutrition and put it where it's most vital you know mostly it's been fine um you know just keep an eye out for getting discouraged because again uh, even with the process being what it is and early on relatively you've already faced a couple plateaus and those are tough to get through but you got to just keep at it um 
you know, nutrition is a big thing. Follow that as much as you can. Stick to the binder. Yep. Stick to the plan. Skip to the, stick to the plan. Because like I was saying, you know, you love your veggies and it's hard for you not to eat them and focus on your protein, which you still have to do. But um, that and then, you know, honestly, like the biggest impact I would say for me is just being your garbage disposal because you still aren't quite used to the portion sizes that you actually can handle. So, you know, you leave a lot of food uneaten. Well, and sometimes it's not a matter of, like, portion size as much as I'm just trying to hit that goal, that protein goal. And I don't want to have to eat eight meals a day. Well, no, that's the thing, though. It's not just the protein, because you fill up a plate with protein and the sides, whatever the side may be, and then I have to finish both. But last night I did a scoop of cauliflower. Yeah, no, last night was fine. Last night was fine. And I still couldn't eat it. Yeah. But I'd like to just a little something. It's hard to give up vegetables and only eat meat. Well, it's hard to focus on the the plan in the sense that you don't have the size of stomach that you used to. It's super easy to feel overfull and then feel sick, and you still struggle with that part of it because you you know get nauseous after eating quite frequently. So it's a very much a learning experience. The only thing I would say that I wish you'd do a little more is go slow and then like have a second portion if you can handle it. But other than that, I'd say you've been pretty much a champ. That's right, guys. Just ignore the part where he says I'm not doing things right. I'm rocking this shit. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, any final notes for our listeners? No, but I, I reject the notion that I'm a nurse Nazi. All right. You know, in hindsight, you were great. Damn straight. Not kind, but you were fantastic. Damn straight. Um, and I will say having support through this entire process and making sure um, whoever that support system is, whether it's your kids, your husband, your partner, whatever it is, making sure they're on board with you. Because the one thing the Russian does not do, which I appreciate, is he does not come home with like loads of potato chips and Italian pasta or like things that I miss. Although I do that with beer and I, I, I'm sorry. But beer's not what I miss the most, so. There you go. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening to this experience podcast of what it was like being the nurse and not the patient. And for listening today, guys, I I do have a special promo code for my website, for my Bariatric Warrior sweatshirt, and my other bariatric-themed collection items. It's warrior Twenty. Go to lizraofficial.com slash shop or just go to the link in my bio on Instagram at lizraofficial and check it out because I have some really cute inspirational clothing for us during our bariatric journey. All right, guys, let's talk soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life with Liz.